So thank you guys for being here. Acts 20, if you guys want to get your Bibles out on your apps, or if you brought your Bible, Acts 20, we're going to start at verse 17 and go through that. How many of you have ever, ever had a chance to say goodbye to somebody that you knew it was going to be the last time you were ever going to see them? Anybody? Right? And how many of you wished you'd had that opportunity to do that? Right? You know, when my son passed away years and years ago, he was just an infant, uh, a preemie. And so there wasn't any chance. I mean, obviously you stay stuff, but you never, you didn't have a chance to say goodbye. When my father passed away, uh, when I was 25, he was on a ventilator on life support by the time I got to the hospital. And so there was, there was no conversation to say anything to him. And, and the last conversation I had with my mom, who passed away six years ago, I was on the phone with her on Wednesday night. She was in the hospital and my son had just shown up with his daughter. And I just said to my mom, Hey, listen, visit with your grandson and your granddaughter, um, or grandson and your great granddaughter. And I'll call you tomorrow. Well, I didn't get that opportunity because she passed away the next morning. And so I've often, often wondered what it would be like to speak to somebody for the last time. And in our text today, that's exactly what Paul does. Paul meets a group of men that he's loved, that he's lived with, that he's served with, and he calls them to himself in this place called Miletus. And scripture tells us that he tells them, this will be the last time we ever see each other face to face. They're never going to, they're never going to speak again. They're never going to embrace again. They're never going to talk again. And for Paul, this is a different kind of conversation because almost every conversation that we've had with Paul in the book of Acts is evangelistic. It's about preaching the gospel. It's about getting in trouble. It's about upsetting people. It's about being arrested. It's about being beaten. But this time, it's incredibly pastoral. What do you say to somebody when you know it's the last time that you're ever going to see him again? And Paul gives us, gives us what I think are some incredible insights on what that should look like or what that can look like for us and how we live our lives. So I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read eight verses here uh, out of Acts 20. And then we're going to take some time to dive into those. Acts 20, verse 17, Paul says this, From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I've lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. He says, you know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now he says, compelled or bound by the spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race, complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. He says, now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. You can be seated. So what does Paul tell these men? When Paul was in Ephesus, he served with them for three years, right? In two different stints, he's been with them. He planted the church there. He knows these people. So what do you say to these people when you know 
I'm never, ever going to see you again. And it's not like our day, right, where you could pick up a phone and through FaceTime call and contact. Now, that was there in the first century. So this was this was it, right? And I think Paul gives some insights into what it's like or what he was trying to get across to these people that I think still applies to us in 2022. So here's the first one. The first insight that Paul gives is this, that serving the Lord means surrendering to you, right? Paul said serving the Lord meant surrendering to you, right? So let me ask you a question. How many of you have gone to an amusement park and have ridden a roller coaster? All right. How many of you would never ride a roller coaster? All right. There's my saved people. All right. Right. Listen, I've never ridden a roller coaster and I'm never going to ride a roller coaster. Right. And it's not just because I have a fear of dying on something like that. Right. It's because, listen, the minute you get in that line, go through that turnstile and get into that cart, what's the first thing they do when you get in? Yeah, they lock you down, right? You've locked yourself in. And here's the thing. At that moment, you've turned your life over into the hands of a 21-year-old kid who doesn't want to be there, right? Who's incredibly, who's incredibly focused on his cell phone, right? And, and you have basically transferred the rights of your life over to this kid. And listen, I say that because when I was in Bible college, a good friend of ours, Joe and I, he worked for the carnival. He worked for one of these companies that did it. We met the people that ran these rides, okay? That's a scary place to be, right? When Paul says, I serve the Lord with great humility and tears, the Greek word for serve is the Greek word doulos. Right? It comes from the, the Greek word duleo. And here's what it means. It means to be a bondservant. It means to be a slave. The word actually means that I take my ownership rights, right? And I give them to someone else. I've transferred the ownership of my life to someone else. Now listen, that's a foreign concept to much, to many of us. But if you're in here this morning, if you're watching online, if you're in the land and you've named Jesus as your Lord and Savior, can I hear you say amen? Right? Here's what scripture says in Galatians 2.20 to all of us that said amen. It says this, I've been crucified with Christ and read it with me and I know, right? But Christ lives in me. He goes on to say this. The life that I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen, whether you know it or not, as a believer in Christ this morning, when you surrendered to Jesus, you surrendered your right, your ownership rights to your Lord and Savior Jesus. You are now a bondservant to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Listen, that's a foreign concept to many of us who live in the West, right? Listen, if you travel the globe and go to other places that that life is different than ours, much harder, a little bit scarier, right? A lot more fraught with peril. And you meet believers, you meet people that understand the idea of surrendering themselves to something else, something greater, something that has authority. Here in the West, we struggle with that. Right? We so struggle with it when the people come to church. Listen, we don't, we struggle with surrendering ourselves to anything. If we don't like it, we say it. If we don't like it, we leave it. If we don't like it, we don't participate in it. We make it public knowledge. Right? Listen, if you're a believer in Jesus, 
and you surrendered to him as your Lord and Savior, you surrendered the ownership rights of your life to Jesus, to the King of Kings, and to the Lord of Lords. And listen, there's nothing sexy about that, right? And we've done, listen, we've done a disservice to lots of people in our, in our world today by trying to convince you that following Jesus is not that big a deal. It is a huge deal. It is an absolute huge deal to surrender your own rights. It's not like going to prison, right? You get locked up in a jail, you lose your freedoms. But your rights are still yours. Giving up your rights is something different. And here's why that's such an important thing, right? Listen, if, if, if you struggle with this, this one's going to just really be hard for you. Because here's what Paul says in Galatians 5. He says this, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Listen, for some of us online, some of us in the land, some of us here in Ormond, listen, that's the real struggle, isn't it? Listen, Jesus paid our debt, past, present, and future. Can I get an amen? Man, aren't you grateful for that church? Yes, what a wonderful Savior. What a wonderful gospel of grace. And no matter how much you don't like the fact that people abuse that gospel, that's still the gospel, right? Jesus' payment covers all of it, beginning to end. Somebody say amen, right? The problem is that for so many Christians who have never surrendered, the ownership of their life to Jesus, they still use that freedom to indulge the sinful nature. It just happens all the time. Every Sunday morning across churches, across the globe, there are people who are dragging themselves to church because on Saturday night, they surrender themselves to their sinful nature and their freedom. Servants of the Lord don't do that, right? They surrender themselves to Jesus. And here's why that's so important. He says this, instead of surrendering yourselves to the sinful nature, he says, rather, everybody read that word. He says, serve one another in love. That Greek word serve is the word duleo. It means make yourself a bondservant of other people in love. You know what that means? You transfer your ownership rights to another person. You don't even have to say over that. You see, being a Christian is about laying down your life. Jesus laid down his life for us. Amen. Our, our response to that great gospel is that we surrender our life to him. And then we surrender our life to others. And in the culture that we live in today, in the climate that we live in today, where there's so much hostility and so much anger and so much distrust, instead of standing and screaming at the top of our lungs at how dark the dark is and how terrible the dark is, it's time for the church just to bring light. And you know how you bring light? You first surrender yourself to Jesus. And then you surrender your rights to other people to serve them in love. You see, we spend too much time in the world. I want to be heard. I want this to be about me having a platform where I can be heard and people can tell. I just want a voice. I just want to be in a place where I can have my say and I can do this. Listen, being a slave, being a person that surrenders their rights, they don't always get that. And when you surrender those to other people to serve them in love, it even shrinks more. You see... That's what being a Christian is about. And yet, 
There's a reason for all of it. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I think there's a passage there, Mike, in 1 Corinthians 9, right there before, there you go. Paul says this, he says, though I'm free and I belong to no man. Listen, you're not forced in that relationship. You get to choose whether you want to surrender to someone in love, whether you want to bind yourself in that kind of relationship. He says, though I'm free and belong to no man, he says, I make myself a a doulos to everyone. I, I willingly do that. Why? So that I might win as many as possible. He goes on to say this. He says, to the weak, I've become weak that I might win the weak. He says, I've become all things to all men so that by all possible means, I might save some. Why? I do it for the sake of the gospel that I can share in its blessings. Listen, you want to see your children come to faith in Jesus? You want to see your grandchildren? You want to see your friends? You want to see your coworkers come to faith in Jesus? Stop talking about how dark the world is. And start showing them what it means to surrender your life to someone in love. No one's forcing you to, right? But that's what being a Christian's about. And I don't know about you, but if you've read the headlines and see the world that we live in, dark is fast approaching in our country, is it not? It's everywhere. And you know what dark needs more than anything? Not, not people that, that give forecasts for dark. They need people who are willing to bring light. And Christians who surrendered their rights to Jesus willingly surrender their rights to others in order that they might win as many as possible to Jesus. Does that make sense, church? Listen, it's not sexy. I get it. It's not sexy. But following Jesus isn't sexy all the time. I mean, you guys look amazing this morning, right? And even though I can't see everybody online in the land, I'm sure it's the same, right? You make it look good, but following Jesus and being a slave to Jesus and a bondservant to others, that's not any fun, but it's the way that we win people to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Paul goes on to say this. He says, he says, not only is it about, not only is it about uh, surrendering to other people. He says, this is the second one. He says, following the spirit meant fixing my decision. It meant fixing my decision for years before we came to Tomoka, my family would come and visit and vacation in Florida. We would go to Orlando, me, my family and my sister's family. And eventually my mom and her, and, and, and her husband, Gary would come and we would spend, spend a week in, in, uh, Orlando vacationing. Today, I don't even want to go to Orlando, which is crazy, right? But we would drive the thousand miles and come spend a week in Florida. Now, I used to drive my family crazy on vacation, right? And here's why. Because on Tuesday night, we'd sit in the house that we rented and we would say, okay, what are we going to do tomorrow? And we'd come up with a great plan, right? And everybody would be like, okay, that sounds like a good idea. When we would get up on Wednesday morning, I, I then would say to them, are you sure that's what we want to do today? Right? What about doing, and I would throw out three or four other ideas. And I only thought I was being kind and generous by giving them more options. I found that years later that what it did was drove them crazy, right? Because after we'd made the decision, I was always willing to change my mind, right? You ever been in that situation where you've, you've talked something out? The decision's been made, and then the next thing you know, the person that made it with you and you felt comfortable with it has changed their mind. Anybody been there? Right? Yeah. Creates a lot of, a lot of uncertainty in people. Creates a lot of frustration in people. 
See, here's what Paul says. Paul says to these men who he will never see again, he says, I am compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. The Greek word for compelled there is a compound Greek word. And what it means is it means to be bound to something. It means to actually tie yourself to something or fasten yourself to something else. It's two things being joined together. It's often used in the New Testament to describe marriage. Think about that. But Paul says, I was bound to the Spirit. And not only does he say I'm bound to it, he says this. In the, in the Greek, the tense is a perfect Tense, meaning this was a decision I made long ago that when I bound myself to the Holy Spirit and we got to Miletus, right? And the, and, and the Holy Spirit said, bound together with me, we're going to Jerusalem, even though there's a chance you're going to be beaten and imprisoned and maybe killed. You know what Paul said? I'm going to Jerusalem. You want to know Why? Because following the Holy Spirit means fixing your decision and not changing your mind. We live in a world where it's become sort of, um, sort of popular to get on a social media platform and deconstruct your faith. Right? That's become sort of a popular, fun thing for people in a certain generation to do, right? They get to the point that they take their faith and they go, that's eh, just not working for me. And they deconstruct it, right? And they tear it apart and break it down, right? All that is, is a person who at one point in time makes a decision to follow Jesus and then eventually changes their mind. Just like me on vacation. You see what our world needs today? Because listen, does it really surprise you that Satan and the world is a dark place? Does that surprise you, church? No, it doesn't surprise us, right? Whether you're watching online in Deland or here in Ormond, we're not surprised that the devil's a dark, dark entity and the people, the demons, those forces of evil that work for him are dark. That's not a surprise. Here's what's a surprise. It's it becoming more dark in the church. That's a surprise. And you know where a lot of that's coming from? People who aren't willing to say that following the spirit means fixing their decision and not changing your mind. Listen, Paul's life was no picnic. As a matter of fact, if you read the next chapter in Acts 21, and we'll get to it, there's a, there's a person there who basically grabs Paul's belt and says this, the person whose belt this is, man, they're going to be in some serious trouble when they go to Jerusalem. And you know what Paul did? He went, you know what? I think I'll pass on Jerusalem. I'll go somewhere else. That's not what he said. He went to Jerusalem anyway. Why? Because he'd already made that decision. Listen, for some of you sitting in here, for some of you online, for some of you in the land, listen, the struggle hasn't been, do you love Jesus? The struggle's been, do you want to change your mind? I've been hurt by the church. I've been disappointed by this decision. Life has been too hard. Right? Things just haven't gone the way I thought they would. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to rethink my decision. I'm going to consider the possibility of unbinding myself to the Spirit. You want to know what the dark world needs? It needs people who are willing to make a decision and to stick with that decision no matter what. And again, following Jesus is not sexy. Nothing, listen, you gather a group of people together the size of this room and you do it three times. You gather a group of people in the land the size that you are and guess what you're going to have? You're going to have people 
acting like people, trying to be like Jesus, and it isn't always going to go well. Amen, church? And when you decide that your faith isn't worth holding on to because that's just too much to bear, that's not what Paul did. Paul said, compelled by the Spirit, bound to the Spirit, bound to a decision I made on the road to Damascus, and no matter what, I'm not changing my mind. That's what our world, that's what our country needs today. It needs Christians that are willing to say that no matter what, no matter how much peer pressure there is, no matter how difficult it is, no matter what it costs me, I made that decision a long time ago, and that's where I'm going to stick with it. I made that decision in 1981 at a church camp in Florida when I was 17 years old. And there's, listen, my story ain't any different than your story. There's been plenty of times where it seemed like a really bad decision. Right When you give your life to Jesus and you surrender your life to go to Bible college and you surrender your life to preach and you give ownership of your dreams up to Jesus because you're his now and you do that and God rewards you at the end of those four years by taking your son after he was just born, you sit and think, I don't know if that was a good decision or not. And when the church that you were serving at decides that you're not worth keeping right in the middle of that, just less than a week after burying your son and the elders walk down the road and let you go and say, that's it for you here. You think to yourself, I don't know if this was a good idea. Listen, many of you are going through some of those same struggles. Right? You're going through those same thoughts in your head. I don't know if this is the worth it. I don't know if sticking with Jesus is the right thing. Listen, if you're a bond servant of Jesus and you've surrendered your rights and you made that decision in the past, it's time for Christians to stand up and own that decision. No matter what. No matter what it costs your family, no matter what it costs you, no matter what, that's the decision we need to make as believers in Jesus because that's what our country needs today more than anything. Listen, anybody can put on a suit and predict the weather. But if you're a weatherman or weather woman, I'm sorry. That's probably mean, right? But anybody can come in and make a prediction about how things are going to go. Everybody's got an opinion about everything anymore. It takes a lot. It takes a much different kind of person to say, you know what? Ten years ago, I made a decision to follow Jesus. And today, it's not a popular decision. And today, it's probably not going to get me what it would have gotten me ten years ago. But you know what? I'm bound to the Spirit. I fastened myself to Him and if he says go, I'm going to go. So here's my question to you in here at Ormond today. For those of you online and those of you in the land, what's the Holy Spirit doing in your life? What's the Holy Spirit prompting you to do? But I don't know a lot of things. Listen, I don't pretend to be the smartest person in the world. Listen, I can't be that smart. I root for the Cubs and the Bears, okay? I just can't be that smart of a person. I think I think drinking iced coffee from McDonald's is better than, than drinking iced coffee from Starbucks or Dunkin's. What do I know, right? But here's what I do know. When I was a junior, soon to be senior in high school, this thing began to happen to me when I would go to church just because I wanted to pursue a girl. All I wanted to do was pursue a girl. So I went to church because guess what? She went to church. And so I took my car and my loud music and my long hair and I went to church. And little did I know this thing would start happening inside of me where this, this feeling, this, this weight would begin to tear at me every stinking time I walked through church doors. I had no idea what it was. The preacher wasn't telling me what it was. All I knew was that every time I went to church, I left more angry than when I got there. 
Because whatever this thing was that was that was working or was doing whatever it was doing, every stinking time I gathered, it wore me out. And for a year, I endured that, and I was angry. Man, I was an angry human being because of it. I didn't know what it was. Eventually, I learned what it was. It was the Holy Spirit at work convicting me, speaking to me, right, weighing heavy on me to make a decision to follow him. And that was the decision I made at church camp in 1981. I know that feeling. And I know that for some of you here in Norman, I know that for some of you online, and for some of you in Deland, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit's been doing for some of you. And maybe it's because you've never accepted Jesus. And if that's the case, man, we want to we want to make sure you have the opportunity to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There'll be people up here in Ormond at the right of the stage that can help you with that online. There's a button. I've decided, right? Pastor John and his team are there. And if you're in the land, there'll be someone there to, that, that at the front of the stage that will do the same thing for you. But maybe it's not accepting Jesus. Maybe you did that 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Maybe what the Holy Spirit's saying to you is, I need you to give so that those, so that those students in New Zealand can hear the gospel, because they're not going to hear it in a church. Maybe it's, I need you to go serve in children's ministry, or student ministry, or grab a vest and get to the parking lot. Whatever it is, let me ask you a question. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let me hear you say amen. amen. We've surrendered our rights, church. The ownership rights of all of those decisions are no longer ours. And so when the Holy Spirit comes and speaks into your heart, are you going to let what Paul said be the truth for you? That following the Holy Spirit means fixing my decision. And no matter what, no matter what, I'm not going to change my mind. I'm not going to deconstruct my faith. I'm not going to leave my faith because it's just not, it's just not working for me anymore. Paul said, I'm compelled by the Spirit. I made that decision in the past. And I'm going to go to Jerusalem and pray that that's the same for us today, church. And here's the last thing that Paul says. Actually, let me read that Luke passage, Mike. Luke 9 says it this way. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Jesus said, listen, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has no place to lay his head. Listen, this isn't, this isn't walking down a, a, a runway like models, man. This is, this is hard stuff. Right? He says to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Seems to make sense. Jesus said to them, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Listen, we, as, as Michael said in his prayer, listen, we ain't got a mission, but Jesus, his mission has a church. And that, that, that job of the church is to get that message out. You and I have a purpose. We have, we have a, a mission to accomplish. And then Jesus said this, another person said, I'm going to follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus said this, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Listen, it's time for us to stop putting our hand to the plow, making a decision to follow Jesus. And then when we don't like it or it doesn't go our way, we're ready to take our hand off the plow and just turn back. It's time for us to, to understand following the spirit man, means fixing that decision no matter what. And here's the last one. Paul said this, finishing the race. Finishing the race meant fighting myself. I'm not a runner. I don't know if you can tell that or not, but I'm not a runner. Never have been. Like, the farthest I'd like to run was 94 feet. 
And that's just playing basketball. And I could do that for hours. But give me some running shoes and an open road and tell me to run for three miles. You might as well just hit me with your car. Okay? Not my thing. I never understood it. I still don't get it. Bores me to tears. Right? But when I was a junior in high school, our cross-country team was going to the Illinois State Fair in Springfield. Now, we grew up in the country. We grew up dirt poor. We never gone to Springfield. Right? As far north as I had gone was 17 miles to a little town called Greenup to eat pancakes for breakfast. That was a big deal. But to go to Illinois, to go to the state fair, right? All I had to do was be on the cross-country team. And we were going to go up there and we were going to run the, the 10K. Never ran a 10K. I didn't even know what a 10K was, right? And my brother... Of course, you know, good first son, you know, he did me no favors, you know, followed every rule, right? He was on the cross country team and he was going to go. And I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to join the cross country team and go. And my dad said to me, unless you can do this at home under this amount of time, I'm not letting you go because you're just going to go up there to goof around. <laughs> I was a junior in high school, whatever dad, right? So he gets out and he times me. He makes me run the distance. Right, that he measured with his car and he made me run it in a certain time so I could get permission to go to the state fair. I did it. I ran it, did it in time. He kept his word, let me go. We go up to Illinois State Fair and we're staying in, in, in uh, the Illinois State National Guard Armory. Okay? First time I'd been in a situation like that, right across the street from the armory is a McDonald's. I've never been to a McDonald's. I didn't even know what a, bur- what a McDonald's was. I knew what a burger chef was, but I didn't know what a McDonald's was. And so I went across the street and I had my first Big Mac. I was 17 years old, I had my first Big Mac. It was the first of 10 Big Macs I had that night. <laughs> I, have a, I, have a, I have a little bit of an addictive personality, right? I ate 10 Big Macs. That night, we were sleeping on the floor in the armory with a bunch of other high school students. We had to be up, right? We had to be up and ready to race at 6 a.m. And we were going to run a 10K. I was 17. I'm like, I got this, right? So we get up, we get to the thing, gun goes off. I start out like a, I mean, I'm flying, right? We, we run the, we run the halfway point and the race was you run to a halfway point to turn around. Right at the halfway point, this is my first time I've ever been on a cross country team. At the halfway point, I was the second fastest runner on the cross country team. On the way back, I'm passing these guys, you know, they're all like perfect form, you know, and I'm like, hey, right? Me and my 10 Big Macs, we're doing pretty well, right? And I'm thinking, this is easy speezy. And then the 10 Big Macs had a different idea. And I spent the next mile and a half. Throwing up. I could barely walk. I was so discouraged. I just wanted to die. I didn't think I was going to make it. I mean, it was as bad as I think I've ever felt. And then, of course, you know, it's high school guys. So they're running by going, (laughs) you know, you know, they're jogging by. It's like the tortoise in the hair, you know. But I had promised my dad I was going to run it in a certain amount of time. And no matter what. I was going to do it. And so drug myself and drug myself. And if you got to the end of it, you ended the race inside of the stadium at the Illinois State Fair. 
And so as you come off the road and you go into the stadium, there are literally people, there are people standing along the road and people in the stands that are cheering. Well, I'm, I wasn't much at, at 17, but the one thing I was, was a person that wouldn't avoid an applause, right? So all of a sudden I come bounding down the track like I was winning this race, right? And I eventually finished that race, and I finished it seven seconds under the time that my dad had set for me to make it. It took me, don't clap for that, because it was an embarrassment, okay? (laughs) It took me twice as long to get through the the second half as it did the first half. And here's all I know, that the only way I could have finished that race was I had to have a credible fight within myself. Paul said this, he said, about going to Jerusalem. He said, I count my life as nothing. Now, I love to study the Greek language. I hate the way we wrote that in our English Bibles because I don't think it does justice. Listen, we live in a world today where too many people have decided their life counts for nothing and they're taking their own life. That's not what, that is not what Luke wrote. I want to read to you what Luke wrote in the Greek and I want to read you the sentence structure. You'll be bored to death, but hey, it's okay, right? Paul said it this way. He, or Luke said it this way. He said, but not But not any account I make my life dear to myself so as to finish the race. What Paul says is this. The word account in the Greek is the Greek word logos. It means word. It means means you've taken your thought and you've given it a voice and you've said it. Right? It's used 330 times in the New Testament. It's simply the expression of reason and of thought. And here's what Paul says. He says... I'm going to Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit says, danger awaits you. And Paul says, I made the decision years ago, no matter what, I'm following Jesus. And you know what the voice inside of his head said? Are you really sure you want to do that? Man, I don't really want to lose you. Think about all the stuff we'll be giving up if we go to Jerusalem and run the chance of ruining our lives. You see, the one thing I know about all of us in here, online, in the land, is we all know that voice in our head that we have conversations with, yes or no. Oh, you all know it. And here's the thing. You could be standing in the middle of the crowd and your lips are not moving, but there is a full-blown conversation going on, right? And that conversation is doing all kinds of crazy, and it's telling you all kinds of things. Listen, that voice in my head says this. Listen, Cord, we're not getting up at 5 a.m. to go to the gym. Right? That voice inside of my head says, we don't need that. We look good. Right? Listen, that voice inside of my head is going to say tonight at about midnight, listen, Taco Bell sounds amazing. Right? Right? It's going to say all those things because guess what? The voice in our head is always looking out for who? Me. 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 You see, for so many of us, our faith isn't about not loving Jesus. We get the whole surrendering our rights thing, right? We get the whole serving one another. We get the fixing our decision. But here's the thing for many of us, and this is where it falls flat for so many of us, is that we don't know how to fight ourselves and win. Because the voice in our head, right, that logos in our head that gives word to that thought process is the thing that usually wins when it comes to what are we going to do. And that's killing us. It's killing our testimony. It's killing parents' testimony to their children. It's killing our testimony to our neighbors who visit us at church. Because the reality is this. What we do here isn't always a reflection of what's going on in here. 
What's going on in here is always a reflection of where are you in relationship to finding yourself. And here's what Paul said. Listen, I know what I'm going to say to myself. Myself's going to say, don't go to Jerusalem. We don't want to die. And Paul says, I don't give that voice a platform. I don't give it a platform. I'm going to do what following Jesus requires. And the voice in my head is not going to win. For some of you, listen, for some of you, some of you online, some of you land, that's what needs to happen. And you stop letting that voice win. Because that voice only has one agenda. It wants what's best for you. God wants what's best for God. Paul said, I'm going to make my voice no account. I'm not going to do it. Here's the way Jesus said it in Luke 9. He said this. Then he said to them all, if anyone wants to come after me. And listen, if you're online in land in Norman, and you've come after Jesus and accepted him as your Lord and Savior, let me hear you say amen. He says, if you want to come after me, you must deny what? Yourself. It's the first step. Listen, taking up your cross and following Jesus daily requires doing things in order. And here's the first order. I can't win. I can't win. Listen, when you're doing your thing, listen, husbands, when you're doing your things, wives, when you're doing your things, children, when you're doing your things, listen, when you're doing your things and you're following Jesus and you're always winning, the voice is always winning. Are you really following Jesus at that point in time? Or are you just following a different voice and wrapping it in a Christian outfit and in a Christian service? He said, I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to take up my cross and I'm going to follow him. Because he goes on to say, for whoever wants to save their life is going to lose it. And whoever loses his life for me is going to save it. At some point in time, finishing the race is going to require you and I to fight ourselves. Joshua told his people, how long are you going to waver? He said in Joshua 24, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? How long are you going to stand with one foot in the sight of God and one foot in the sight of the world? How long are you going to waver between two opinions? He said, if God be God, serve him. And if God's not God, then serve them. He said, but for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Listen, that's my prayer for every one of you today here in Ormond. And for every one of you online and for every one of you in the land. That no matter what, no matter what, that decision you made to follow Jesus is going to be a decision that you honor. And no matter how hard it is, no matter what it costs you, and no matter what that voice says in your head, you're going to make sure. You're going to make sure that you and your house are going to follow the Lord. Paul wraps it up in 2 Timothy 4 and he says this in verse 7 and 8. He says, I fought the good fight. And I have finished the race, and I have kept my faith. There's now in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, he says, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to also to all who have longed for his appearing. That's my pray, prayer for me, and that's certainly my prayer for all of us. Father, let's, um, or let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, thank you for Jesus who... Finished the race. Didn't give up no matter what. Stayed true to his commitment that he made before the foundations of the world began. That in spite of what he knew it was going to cost him, he, he stayed true. And we know he had the voice. We know he did. 
Because the Bible tells us he learned obedience to the things that he suffered. His flesh didn't want to die in the garden. It told him so. His flesh wanted a different way out. And yet, God, we are so grateful that Jesus decided to honor, honor you, to surrender to you. And so, Father, my prayer today is for every person sitting in here in Normand and in Deland and everybody who's watching online. Lord, I don't know what your spirit is speaking to each of us, but my prayer is that for all of those folks that are feeling the move of the spirit, the voice of the spirit, whatever that is like, my prayer is, Father, that whatever it is, they'll surrender to it in complete and total obedience. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.